Welcome to the weekly Mission Red Bank podcast, helping the body of Christ build itself up together in love. Just to look at that verse again, Jesus speaking with his disciples said, I I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, which means that this helper coming is a pretty big, important deal. And then Jesus says, but if I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine if you were in their shoes, how wrong this sounded to them. I mean, think about it. He hasn't been crucified yet, but they've been with him for a few years now. They've witnessed unbelievable things, and many have come to believe that he's the Messiah. How could it be to their advantage if he went away? Who's the helper? Wasn't Jesus the Messiah? who was going to fulfill God's promises and restore his people to their right place in creation? Yes, he was the Messiah. And going away was an essential part of his father's plan. And this was so confusing to them. Those two things didn't fit together in their thinking, their ideas, their expectations. In the midst of everything they knew, In the midst of their day-to-day lives, they expected Jesus to be someone who would do things very differently than the way things were going. Some things, I think they had come to think, wow, we never even expected this much from the Messiah, raising the dead, things like that. But other things that were happening looked so different from what they expected. And I think a lot of them were kind of anxiously awaiting when is he going to when is he going to rise up they hadn't yet fully understood the depth of what it meant for god to come and live among them that hadn't registered down for god to put on our flesh and for his work as the messiah to restore us to reunite us to him one another all people, and the rest of creation so that we could recover, if you will, take our ordained place as a people, an entity, his people, the church, his agents of reconciliation in the world. They thought he'd come to conquer Rome and then the rest of the kingdoms of the earth and make the world Jewish. This was how their mind worked. They thought that was how the nations would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. They hadn't realized that the kingdom of God coming looked like an entire new humanity made up of every culture, every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And they would never, never get to what God had in mind on their own or by continuing to look for him to be the king they wanted. They were never going to get there. For Jesus to fulfill his mission, God's mission, and bring the kingdom, he had to unite with us, become one of us. 
then returned to God the Father in spirit after he did his atoning work and returned as one of us to the Father in spirit. Then, once he's returned, taking us in him back to this unbreakable union with God, I've said this before, in the person of Christ returning to the Father, one of us has entered back into the Godhead because it's the man Jesus that sits on the throne, the firstborn of new creation, Paul calls him. Because this happened, then he sends the very spirit of God to empower us to day by day, moment by moment, call us, lead us to the comfort and the truth of unbroken, undivided union with him and in him one another in the rest of creation. This was the completion of Christ's mission so far. And we see it begin to manifest in the lives of our oldest brother and sisters, the first followers. But before I read what they experienced, I just want to reiterate the comfort and truth that we look for from the Holy Spirit is a reunion of unbroken connection to God, being in Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and in him being united to one another. It's what he prayed for in John 17. It's what St. Paul and St. Peter were admonishing all the time in the epistles. That's why they're calling for this unity. Basically, if you think about it, they're saying, remember what he did, yes, and glorify him and worship him for that atoning work, but become now the new humanity you were always intended and created to be. N.T. Wright says that at this moment, when Jesus completed his work and ascended to the Father, he completed in a climax the work of Israel for all the centuries, all the generations. And now, instead of the world becoming Jewish... Israel, through Israel, had come the Messiah, the king of everything, and all nations were to be brought to God. So what he had in mind and what he was doing was so much bigger than what they imagined. But watch what happened when it began to dawn on those first believers. This is from Acts chapter 2. Two quick pictures. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You'll recognize this from our baptismal vows to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Then in Acts 4, it says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or homes sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I read a document one time that said it was an early, early document from the first century that talked about the church, and it wasn't a Christian document. It was someone from the culture describing them. And they said one of the most stunning things about them was how they regarded one another and stuff differently and that they had all things in common. And then it was quick to note. It put it in the cultural context that the writing came from. They said not like the pagans. In other words, things that should not be shared, i.e. spouses, they specifically mentioned that, but that was common in pagan culture. It wasn't common in Christian culture. They said they don't, we're not saying like that. We're just saying that there are no needy among them. And it's astonishing to us. We've never seen a group of people actually behave this way. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the, the article basically said. This was their story. That is their story. Now, here's an important connecting point. Their story is our story. We say that, and I think we, okay, this is our lineage. These are the ones from whom we come. This is, these are the ones that first believed and gave their lives and lived their lives and preached the gospel and the Bible came out of these people and, and it moved forward and the traditions came out of these people and they moved forward. The things that we've been given, they came from these people. It's a picture of what it looks like when our people, followers of King Jesus, embrace repentance. Remember, St. Paul, I mean, St. Peter said, you've killed the Messiah. They were cut to the heart. They said, what do we do? He said, repent. He said more, but he started there. This is a picture of what it looks like when we repent, when we change our minds and turn from any and all other kings and kingdoms so that we can faithfully follow King Jesus. This is a picture of what it looked like for them to begin to understand that all of who they were, as we say in the liturgy forgiving, and all of what they had belonged to him. This is what it looks like for them to start loving God and serving God and loving and serving one another as Jesus had loved and served them. This is what it looks like. Here's a big question. What might this look like for us? In the 21st century, here we are. What might this look like for us? In the midst of everything we know, in the midst of our day-to-day -day lives, who do we believe and therefore expect Jesus to be? Because it was when that changed in them that they changed. They killed him because they thought he was a liar. When they found out he was who he said he was, they freaked out and found forgiveness. So they repented.
They believed him to be someone they did not believe him to be before. And their lives looked like it. And we've been told many things and we've embraced and believed many things. That's just common to humanity, to learning, to growing as people. My challenge to us is to begin to weigh the things we've been told and the things we believe. Beliefs that lead us to choose to do and not do, think and not think, pursue and not pursue. To weigh those beliefs in the scales of Scripture. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, the story. Not pick and choose and proof text to support our belief, but understand the narrative and go, am I living according to this? Let's let them be weighed in the scales of God's story. Let's let them be weighed the things we believe and choose to believe and think. Let's let that be weighed in the context of us embracing that Jesus came to mend what was broken, not just this broken, sinful nature that I have. Yes, that, but that actually came after something else. It was a division between humanity and God and creation. That's the break that made all the other brokenness available to us. We were in perfect union and fellowship with God and one another, and the creation was to submit to our oversight. But when we rebelled, that's what broke. And out of that and the desperation of trying to deal with it, the earth itself groans for the return, groans for the reconciliation that Christ came to give. Do you think we can let what we think, and the reason I'm going after thinking is not because thinking's everything. I just think that our doing is born out of our thinking. And if we can get honest about those two things, we can recognize that I say I believe in Jesus, yet I don't act like it. The early apostles, I don't know that they'd be hateful about it at all. I actually don't think they would. I think they would just say, you don't actually believe. They wouldn't be mad. They'd just be honest. It's one of the things about Tim Keller I really like. You can like him, not like him for a number of reasons, but I love him for this. If he's talking with a non-believer and they're talking about something, he'll go, well, you don't believe. And that's why this isn't there for you. And he's not trying to be rude. He's just trying to say, the fruit says no. The things that are coming out of your mouth, the way you're living your life, it says no. No. Can we let our lives, our thinking, our words be weighed in the scales so that God can be so kind as to lead us to repentance? God doesn't identify brokenness in me to shame me. God is not insecure. He does not need to neurotically shame us when he points to what's wrong, he points to what's wrong like we would say to a child, let's don't go out in the street, it's dangerous. Does that make sense? So his kindness leads us to repentance because he knows that's where life is. That's where things need to happen. Let's weigh our beliefs and actions in the scales of what we look like. 
What does it look like when we come together? Do we manifest Jesus in life today? Or are we more isolated? Are we more alone? Are we more afraid and hidden? And again, if any of those things, if you can identify with them, don't be ashamed. That's just, that is not God's voice. He doesn't need to shame you. He would just point at it and say, yeah, that's not, that's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to come here. And when we say it's hard, you know what he says? I know. I'm not going to change what I'm asking you to do because it's the right thing for you. But I will be with you now while it's hard and I will walk you into a healthier place. Because I am committed to see the good work that I began in you come to fruition. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit so that we together would change and the manifestation of God would come. People would see Christ. And if they see Christ, they've seen the Father. So that we would recognize that our lives are so interdependently connected. Like those giant redwoods in California that are too tall for the depth of their root system. Did you know that? Redwoods don't have roots that go way down. Those roots would have to be huge going down to support those trees. They don't. They spread out and then they interweave with the other redwoods around them and they hold one another up. That's what we're created to be. The Holy Spirit would have us today, I think, be delivered from making God into an image of our own ideas and rather see God for who he is. And when that makes us shrink back, hear him say, no, no, no. I'm letting you see so you can come close. And when we say, but the fire, or we say the honesty, or we say the truth is scary, God could say, I know, but I've done everything to make this the best place you can be. And as you come close, like dross, all that insecurity, all that shame, all that contrary to me stuff burns away and you are you, who I created you to be in the first place. And you will notice that you are not standing here with me by yourself, but with my people, the church. That's what the Holy Spirit is coming so that we can come together and join our King in actively seeking. Come to the Father. Seek the kingdom so that Jesus will be revealed to the world and all of creation. So now comes a time of confession. As we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, let's do this. Let's come to a time of confession honestly saying to God I really am going to dare to say something you probably already know and he does already know but I'm going to dare to say I have not loved you with everything I know that's what Christ calls me to do I'm going to dare to say I've not loved my neighbor as myself 
I know I'm supposed to, and frankly, I don't want to, and I don't know how. Or maybe I do want to, but it's too painful to even look at it again because I fail at it so much. God would say, come together to me. Confess in earnest to me. Receive my forgiveness. Receive the grace of being reminded that you are new creation. Then come to my table and receive from me food for the soul, for the heart, for the mind. And when you leave, don't be walking away from one another. Leave as my people and then live as my people. Amen. You've been listening to the Mission Red Bank podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Mission Red Bank or have questions about what you've heard today, you'll find us on Facebook. Grace and peace to you, and may God's blessings surround you.